0: this episode of Turning the Tables, International Development and the Games of Empire, you are going to listen to Susan Spronk, who is Associate Professor at the School of International Development and Globalization Studies at the University of Ottawa and Interim Director, sharing her perspectives on turning the tables in Latin America in addition to her closing remarks to the workshop. You are also going to listen to a wrap-up to the workshop offered by Rika Mopagazi, Vice President of the Development Student Association for 2019 and 2020.
1: So it's gonna be impossible to give you a summary of everything I've heard. So let me uh, do two things, which is to comply with the task at hand, which is to say a few things about Latin America, but then more about development studies and what I think we're doing here, because that's the collective conversation that I think we have in common. Uh, but it's a privilege to go after Sajad because one of the questions you asked is, does the, North, does the South need the North anymore? Well, did it ever? And yeah. Latin America and the Caribbean is a region which has one of the two countries in the world which is effectively de from the world economy. And it's not North Korea. No one considers North Korea a model. But Cuba does have a lot of things to tell us about what development, entre guillemets, might look like uh, when human life is prioritized, when ecological sustainability is prioritized, and it was forced on them by the fall of the Soviet Union, no question, but in terms of ecological footprints and human development indicators, it far bats everyone out of the park. So maybe our future, in terms of a collectivist future, looks much more like that than a mass consumer society which has been the model of development or the supposed goal since at least, well, most of the 20th century, right? And so, I mean, one of the exciting things about the terrifying future is crisis is opportunity, and we need to think much more about planning and collectivist solutions. And one of the things I thought I would hear a lot more about, I think Carolyn certainly put it front and center, and so did our our companion from Africa, Awa, Um, put the the ecological question at the center of where we're headed. So let me just say a few things about Latin America and following I'll just say three things in terms of broad characteristics and then talk about development studies again and where we're at as a program. Um, So first I think Latin America has a particularity and one of the questions that's always fascinated me is that Latin America is the region which has had the most revolutions in the 20th century. And I think it's related to the fact that it's also the region of the world that has had its earliest independence from the European powers. The first slave revolt was in 1804 in the Republic of Haiti. Uh, The rest of the Latin American and the Caribbean achieved independence between 1810 and 1825, except for Cuba, which remained a colony until just before uh, the turn of the century, and Puerto Rico, which remains a U.S. protectorate. Um, and so that means, as well, that it's a it's a region uh, with very advanced uh, civilizations, the Aztec, Maya, Inca, um, and it's also a region where there's been a it's been linked. It was the first place to be colonized by the Europeans, uh, the Americas. Uh, and it also means that it's incredibly mixed in terms of uh, its racial composition, which also leads to a very tumultuous politics in terms of legacies of racism and colonialism, which are still with us today. Um, Secondly, the Latin American region as a whole uh, has the greatest inequalities of income and wealth. It was the only region in the last 20 years that also experienced uh, the new left or a turn to the new left or a it's always been a place of political experiments and with the election of Hugo Chavez in 1998 followed by uh, Lula in 2002 this new left which tried to take lessons of rebuilding the state-led alternatives also was the only region to reduce social inequality again and now we're of course seeing Uh, with, well, actually now Macri has just been, he just lost the election, so they're back to uh, Peronist left experiments in Argentina. But we're seeing a lot of contest around um, experiments in Latin America and a reaction to what we call neoliberalism, which uh, is the most brutal form of capitalism that we've seen historically thus far, although it could get worse, right? Could get more authoritarian. Um, so number three, uh, it's also the region that has been the uh, had the deepest experience of neoliberalism. Often Chile is cited as the example of where these experiments were first um, started in 1972 with the riot, with Pinochet who came to power. And I will use power. One of the things I say to my students and colleagues is that. When we're talking about government and capitalist societies, we're not talking about power, we're talking about government, or we're talking about taking the state. The power is held by the people who own the means of production. Power is held by capital. The government needs to negotiate with capital, otherwise we get investment strikes. And so it was great to hear, in fact, I think only in the last hour that word capitalism has come up, although it's certainly implied in what Caroline's talking about in terms of Um, the politics of recognition, and dispossession being at the center of that project. Nadia talked about development equals theft, again, this dispossession that's being at the center of that project, removing people uh, from their means of subsistence and production in order to get the development project of the industrial capitalism in its most productive and technologically advanced form, uh, which has been shaping development studies and the imaginary of what development has, has meant. I think we're in a new era, but one of the things, I guess, it's and I, I really welcome the challenge uh, and thank the organizers, Fayez and Jai, for asking these big questions about development studies and now I'm moving to this, but I do think that, I know our program works when I have experiences like I did with a student uh, in Bolivia, where I taught a field research course. And I was talking to one of my colleagues, uh, Bolivian, who uh, works in water networks in terms of alternatives to privatization, communal forms of, of water management. And one of the great things about working in Bolivia is uh, as a white settler uh, from North America, every time I go there, my colleagues kick my butt, uh, saying like, you know, challenging me in terms of the colonial mindset, because Bolivia, is the second most indigenous country in Latin America. Uh, in a survey in the early 2000s, 64% of the population self-identified as indigenous. So it's second only to Guatemala. Uh, so of course, like very lively discussions about alternatives and a rejection of state alternatives in terms of that more communitarian ways and connections to land. But in talking to my friend Marcela, she was criticizing me because uh, we did a field research course which, when I taught it, I taught research methods, I taught the history and politics of Bolivia, and she was comparing my course to a colleague from an American university who is working with, he's an anthropologist, so he has deep connections to one community. I've always worked on policy and privatization and other global processes. When he went with his students to, live in that community, uh, they did what is often thought of as development, where they would help the community build a school. So Marcel was saying to me, like, you know, they're really helping and you're not doing much. (laughs) I'm like, okay. When my students went back to Canada or came back to Ottawa, they started a chapter of Mining Watch. Right? I mean, development studies and development students, I think in our program, and I know our program works when our students understand that it is more than projects, it's more than foreign aid. I think development studies is actually one of the most radical disciplines, I think, with geography and history. Development studies is also very multidisciplinary, and so it's hard to define as an object. And I think we saw that here in the sort of varied conversations that we've had uh, in the latter part of the afternoon that I was able to join you. The number one journal and what's called development studies in the English language journals is the Journal of Peasant Studies. Peasant? Yeah. The Journal of Peasant Studies is a Marxist journal which talks about peasants and also other questions about the uneven and combined developments of global capitalism. It has a higher impact factor than world development which is a policy centered journal which is super mainstream and mostly publishes stuff that are written by economists. So development studies, yes, we have a lot to do, but I think we're also doing a lot right. Um, and I think one of the challenges that is before us is we have a school which is the largest school in Canada, as I mentioned, it's very pluralist, and I think that's an advantage to our students. So you can take courses with Sajid, um, which or it's gonna give you a more Uh, Perspective more on foreign aid, look at institutions of development, uh, OECD, uh, donors, etc. You can take a course with Nadia Boussada and deconstruct what that notion of development means, not even, and the course not even being able to use the word or believe in the project anymore. And so I do think that is also one of our strengths and it's worth defending. And I wanted to end with quoting one of my favorite global actors these days. 40% of the world population is under the age of 25. We are seeing incredible revolts all over the world. Lebanon, Haiti, Ecuador, Chile right now is absolutely in revolt. And those children of the financial crisis of 2008 I think are behind a lot of these protests, not all of them. But what we're seeing now is the unfolding of the contradictions of the model that's been dominant for 25, 30 years. And we don't know where it's going. But Greta said, and I'm sure you've heard this all before, people are suffering, people are dying, entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are at the beginning of a mass extinction and all you talk about is money and the fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? So I think part of the task that we have before us is not just new ideas, but going back to old ideas. (laughs) There's a lot of really good old ideas out there, and I just will end with one little story, and I really apologize that Nadia's not in the room, and she probably wouldn't say this again, I'm not sure she'll remember it the same way, but I was in Venezuela when Chavez was still alive, Working with people who uh, were experimenting with communal forms of management of water and sanitation infrastructure in Caracas, the city. Experiments that predated Chavez by 15, 20 years. Of course, the governments of Chavez, which had many contradictions, but one of the things that it, they tried to do was to open space for communal forms of planning, starting communes. And so, I was talking to one of my friends who's an organizer of these communes, and what were they reading in the barrios? Marks, right? So I'm in, and I'm talking to Natty because we're going to co teach a course, and I'm like, Natty, I really think we need to put marks in the syllabus. She's like, uh, You know, I'm not sure the students are really going to like to read like the old texts. And I'm like, Wow, this was about 10 years ago though. I think things have changed. I think. I've seen it in my students, too. My students have changed. Uh, David Graeber calls this uh, despair fatigue, right? People are really looking for alternatives now. And if there's a challenge before us, it's really to talk about those alternatives now, and not simply the mainstream, just within the master's house, right? How do we dismantle that master's house? Again, thank you to the organizers. I'd also like to make special thanks to the staff of our school, especially Alexis, who I know uh, was really helping a lot with the coordination and everything. So, um, and I'm not the last word because the jewel on the crown of our program are definitely our students. And I will just make a plug for you already that I think one of the best things that happened in our school is the International Development Week. Which is organized for and by undergraduate students. And so uh, that's gonna be in February. And so definitely everyone should be there. And their programs tend to be like way more radical than our <laughs> syllabi. So like go check them out. Um, so with that, I'd like to leave the word with Reka. Thank you.
2: So I'll be speaking on behalf of the Development Student Association, so the undergrad as well as the Undergraduate Student Association. Um, So I'll keep it short as well, Susan basically said all the points that I've kind of uh, noticed during our discussions uh, which I really appreciated and I was so honoured to have been a part of the process so thank you so much. Um, And I think this is a great start, Um, as we mentioned this could go further and become not the only but the first edition of this type of open discussion uh, because I think that a lot of students would benefit from just like you said, um, hearing from different people, different narratives, old narratives, new narratives, and kind of formulate their own understanding of international development. So thank you so much for everyone who was a part of the process. We really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to point out, just because there were so many great ideas, I wanted to point out kind of the highlights. Um, So from what I noticed, the themes, again, were perspectives, turning the tables and seeing what has changed and what will continue to change, um, whether it be in a positive or negative way. Um, So I Uh, We'll start with the perspectives of colonial versus indigenous uh, perspectives on territory and land. And I thought that was very interesting. Uh, Personally, I've always felt that there was kind of um, pre-established understandings of things like time. I know my friends know that I'm always late, so I think that time is relative. And I think it's almost like a social construct. And so to think that even things like time, for me, it's a small thing. But to think that land also is a social construct and how we associate ourselves with land and territory is very interesting and I'd love to, to really research that as well. Um, and Uh, As I mentioned in the beginning, lived experiences versus institutional kind of standards of knowledge. And this was a beautiful testament to how lived experiences can also be integrated into our institutions and the way that we teach students, uh, because the practical knowledge does really resonate with students and kind of show them where they could take their studies or the content of their studies elsewhere. also, worldviews versus local knowledge. So the idea of worldviews kind of homogenizes um, intersectionality that is present. So it kind of ignores ignores certain narratives. <coughs> Sorry, my voice is low. Um, so for example, Caroline mentioned indigenization. So that really homogenizes a whole diversity of peoples just so that we can understand. So instead of homogenizing everything, why don't we just actually learn the differences between different peoples, different regions, et cetera, instead of grouping them up into one section of, let's say, this semester we're studying a whole part of the world, a whole part of history, whereas we can be really focused on certain parts and and get a more in-depth understanding and bring that into another kind of uh, knowledge, et cetera. So that was very interesting. Uh, The grind. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of like the idea of like the grind of like working non-stop all the time. So I remember Molly was talking about how the grinder, this idea of progress which was advanced by neoliberalism and capitalism is really a social construct again uh, because not every society works in that function, that framework of development means that we have to ignore social uh, expectations and and develop development in favor of pure profit. So that was very interesting to kind of get that uh, reinforcement that it is okay to have different views on progress and development. And the word development was questioned, which I think is very important and should be brought to the table. Development is a term that can become derogatory if it is put in a setting where people people are not meeting expectations that they themselves did not set but the worst that were preset for them and that they have to abide to just to to exist or survive in a system that was not created by them so I think that was very interesting to mention that as well um, we talked about education so Nadia talked about educational reforms and how it's important to kind of look at the way that we used to teach and the way that we can teach in the future to be able to contextualize what we're teaching in classrooms so as students I know that it's very important to, to, to visualize what you're learning and 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 put it in towards a career that is that is viable that is sustainable that is long term um, and so by doing that uh, we need to understand that the way that we're teaching or the the way that we're learning um, so that I guess what I'm trying to say is that I don't want to be going to an exam, writing an exam, and then forgetting everything I learned just because I had to do a scanter on multiple t- exams. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, so definitely, that's, that's really interesting no that you pointed that <laughs> Yeah. Um, so it's okay. Okay, follow. Um, aid, very important aid in international development. Aid is something that we learn. We learn about the issues of aid, but we don't necessarily learn that it is ongoing and that there are a lot of relations that are higher uh, hierarchical.
0: Hierarch- hierarch-
2: there you go, that one. And, and, and so, as you mentioned, we can have partnerships uh, between ourselves without depending on an exterior entity. And so that's very interesting because, again, as a student, it gives you the possibility to imagine that your actions can also be um, something that contributes to, to again, developments can be prob- problematic as a term, but uh, to the evolution and to, um, yeah, to the evolution of humanity in a positive way. So yeah, I said I'd keep it short. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who was a part of this, and I hope this is not the last time we'll be speaking on this subject. Thank you.
0: <laughs> the introduction to this podcast series was read by Dana Carroll. These podcasts were recorded and produced by Radim Asaki. The production of these podcasts received funding from the Ontario Public Interest Research Group at the University of Ottawa. And from Professor Sani Yahya at the School of International Development and Globalization Studies at the University of Ottawa. For details and further information, please contact Radamasaki at rhany at